Well, in front of you, uh, you should have an outline so you can see where, where my brain is going as we go through this talk together. And uh, it'd be great also if, you, if you're not in the habit already of having a Bible uh, with you, bring one from home or, um, or look out for one in the foyer. They're not always there, but we can, if you ask someone, someone will find there's a stash in the back room somewhere. So um, it's helpful as we engage with the scriptures that we're looking at them, uh, that you're not just listening to me, but you're engaging as you hear me and you're looking at the scriptures to see whether I am being accurate and truthful uh, as we steer one another towards uh, eternity. Uh, let, me, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, for this moment in time, we give you thanks. We thank you for um, the health that enables us to be here, present together today. We thank you for your word that is open and free for us to read. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to calm our hearts, calm our minds, engage us in your truth that we might see clearly and respond uh, with sincerity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can you remain calm in any situation? Can you remain calm in any situation? It'd be like a superhero who goes into the heart of the enemy territory with threats all around them, but they're completely calm. Why? Because, I don't know, they've got a secret superpower or they have already set up a trap for the villain. They know something that gives them confidence. They go into the heart of darkness and they, uh, they remain completely calm. Well, I can tell you that I do not remain completely calm in every situation. But that's the, that's the direction that Peter wants us to go towards as we go through 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 22, to remain calm, to keep calm, because your hope is in Jesus. That's the, that's the uh, conclusion to this sermon. Keep calm because your hope is in Jesus. Uh, Peter wants us, uh, to understand the hope that we have. And um, I'm very thankful that, uh, that Kirk brought up that chapter 1, verse 3, which is the memory verse the kids have been uh, using, and I think I've quoted it in every single sermon that I've uh, given so far, that our, we, we have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. That's the hope that we have. It's not wishful thinking. It is something that God has already done, already anchored for us, and already established in heaven. We just need to align ourselves with God's promises. Get on board with his wisdom, his project, his plans, and that's, that's, that's where the smooth sailing comes from. The first thing that Peter um, asks us to do as we try to live as strangers, living for that hope, living differently to the world around us, who are trying to find hope somewhere else, struggling and feeling like they have an answer, but we have the answer. How do we live as strangers in this world? The first thing Peter asks us to do is to break the cycle, to break the cycle of, of the reaction that comes out of sin, the way that we relate with others uh, that, that stems from a fear that, that's from in, from within. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and be humble. He's really directing this one sentence to the body of, of believers. As we are gathered together, that we are to be like-minded. We're to have the one God, the one spirit, the one Lord, the one salvation, the one death, resurrection. We are to have the one hope uh, that, we're, that we're driven towards. Be like-minded. Uh, be on task together. Uh, head in the same direction. 
Um, one thing, if, if at the very least, what we do as we come to church is to get on board with what, the, what God has taught us in the scriptures, to learn together so that we can then move forward together as one unit. Being sympathetic, knowing that none of us are better than, than others, that everyone has times of hardship and, uh, and joy, and just be aware of what people are going through, to love one another deeply from the heart, uh, we're told elsewhere, to love as God has loved. Be compassionate with a tender heart and be humble. Even if you are better, don't tell people about it. <laughs> Even if you're right, uh, let others, people, get on board. It's a very, um, it seems very loving, very helpful words to go through. Um, I was talking to someone just yesterday and they, um, they gave me an, an acronym uh, for rock. Now, you know that Peter means rock, so this is helpful. Um, doesn't, it, it's, the, the acronym came to me and I thought, oh, that applies to this, this verse quite well. So R-O-C-K, uh, we are to uh, respect one another. This is the, the, this being sympathetic, being compassionate. We are to respect one another. Uh, Peter said that also back in chapter 2, verse 17, uh, to re- have respect for everyone. O is for oneness, that we are to be one in Christ, knowing what we will believe and united in that front. C is for compassion. That's the, that's the word from the text. It works there. And K is for kindness. I like that. So if you can't remember like-minded, sympathetic, one, uh, loving one another, be compassionate, be humble, then remember rock. To respect, be one in mind, uh, be compassionate and be kind. That's nice, isn't it? Uh, in, um, in term four, just a little promo, in term four, so term three we're doing one Peter, in term four... Uh, the plans are in uh, underway for us to do uh, something about what are we doing as a church, where are we going, what are we, what are we hoping to do together and to move forward together. Um, a lot of plans are being laid down, but just under the heading of being like-minded in chapter, one verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, um, that's my hope in term 4, for us to, to elevate what we already perhaps know, but to be one in mind and spirit and moving forward with one goal. But he says, break the cycle, be this. That's what you're to be. Have that rock attitude. Don't be like verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with, e- with insult. This is, that's a fight or flight instinct. When someone threatens you, you threaten back. When someone says you're wrong, you defend yourself. You know, I'm very aware of that kind of mindset. I fight that all the time. But Peter says... He's aware of it too, and we need to fight against that. Put to death the misdeeds of the body and live for the spirit. Put to death sin and live for righteousness. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. That's the way of this world. But we are not of this world where our hope is in eternal life. On the contrary, he says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Yeah, we've been called to live as people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who went through suffering for us. We just uh, we we, sang, we said the creed earlier from Philippians that that Jesus Christ abandoned his privileged state in heaven in order to come down and suffer alongside us and to die on the cross for us. Uh, we've been called into a relationship that is defined by suffering in this world. 
Uh, that is, that's the nature that we, we, for this we're being called. Then Peter quotes from Psalm 34. That was our Old Testament reading. Seems like uh, this Psalm 34 has been in Peter's head a lot as he's been writing the, the letter of 1 Peter. Earlier on, he, he said something like, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Well, that's a, a line coming straight out of Psalm 34. But now he quotes it a great extent, great portion of the, of the psalm. And he says there, um, to put sin to death and live for righteousness. Verse 10, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lip, their lips from deceitful speech. It's interesting, isn't it? Our, our mouths often betray us. Our mouths expose what's really in our heart. And the book of James goes into great detail to d- describe that. Verse 11, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Notice that Peter's theme is don't just look for peace and when you find it, enjoy it. It's that you need to create peace. You need to be the peacemakers in this world. That's how different we are to be. You know, the peacemakers, uh, you know, the fight or flight instinct is that someone says something nasty to you, you say something nasty back, and you get in this, this argument like this, to and fro. You said this, I say that, it goes backwards and forwards. The peacemakers uh, stop this dance. And so one person says, no, I'm going to keep the peace. And then the other side has to try and work out how this new dance works because one side is yelling at you and you're, and you're just receiving the yells. God says that if you, want to, if you love life and want to see good days, then you need to turn away from evil and do good to seek peace, pursue it, and make peace. We are the peace pursuers. And in verse 12, he says, he, he reminds us that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. For the, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In one sense, that's really easy, really easy to understand. If we want to pursue God, the goodness that comes from understanding God, then we need to live godliness throughout. We need to live out our godliness. If we want to deny godliness, then surely that's not where God's mind and will and, and, and spirit is at. But there's another underlying thing in this verse, I think, which is subtle, but what spurs, perhaps spurs Peter on to continue into the next section, and that is that God's eyes are on the righteous. You see, one thing that Christianity is not is just a philosophical thought from old writings. We're not a, we're not a heritage group that just loves the good old days and we're trying to continue an old-fashioned tradition of, of, of believing in God and being Christian. That's not what we are. We are serving the living God. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ who is not dead and buried. He is risen and alive. So his eyes are on the righteous. We're not just following a rule book. We're responding to the living God. And Peter, as he says, break the cycle. You need to not live like the rest of the world lives. You need to be... uh, Oh, there you go. I have sub-points. Uh, now they're gone. Uh, we need to move to the point two, which is to trade in your fear. How do we do this? How do we pursue peace? Uh, well, there's a there's a good there's a trade in that happens. It's like um it's like uh, trading in an old car. That it's done. We're done with that one. It's a bomb. It's time to trade that one in and get a new one. We're trading in our fear for something else. He says, "Don't fear uh, what they fear." Verse thirteen. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, 
you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. We need to trade in our fear. Uh, Remember the fight or flight instinct is that when you are attacked, you attack back. We need to break that cycle as Christ has taught us and shown us and given us a great example. And we need to pursue peace and righteousness. And what we need to do is trade in our fear, not to fear their threats, not to fear what could happen. There's a a flavour of fear in this world that produces anxiety. All the the media is alive uh, these days. We're talking about the anxiety that's spread across society. We need to be aware of that and, and understand that the fear is driven from a lack of real hope. But we have this real hope. And so we need to let go, trade in the fear. Like no one can threaten or take away what God has already guaranteed for us, uh, which has been spelled out to us in chapter 1, this living hope. Eternal life that can never perish, spoil or fade, that's been kept in heaven for you. No one can take that away from you. No amount of threats or harm or passive aggression or even imprisonment or whatever the future may hold. Nothing, nothing can take away from the hope that we have in Christ. What are, we, what are we trading this car in for? So we're going to trade in our fear. What are we going to replace it with? We need an upgrade. We're going to upgrade it with our reverence. For Christ, See here in verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, know that Jesus is King. In your hearts, remember that the Lord is King and he will look after everything. Revere him, honour him, respect him, Know that he is to be feared above all else and he is the one who laid down his life for you. Cherish him in your hearts. Know that he is your king. Preach to your heart. You know, when you, when you feel that uh, inner, inner voice, it might be the, the warmth of your heart that's not a, not, a, not a fun warm, it's an anxious warmth. It's time to engage your brain and preach the gospel to your heart. You are... You are saved, you are loved, you are cherished, you are precious. You have been redeemed. You have been made a people. You've received mercy. This is knowing the gospel. You need to learn how to teach your heart the gospel. Because your heart's like a little child that just wants to run under the bed covers and hide away for eternity until the danger goes away and everything's fine. But God says, no, I want you to live in this world and I want you to, I want to, I want you to teach your heart what your brain has learned from the scriptures. Speak the, once, you've, uh, once you've trained your heart, in your heart revere Christ as Lord, then be ready to speak to others. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, um, often people refer to that verse and there's a comfort uh, in this verse, that I don't need to go out and tell the world about Jesus, I'm just, I'm, but I'm happy to wait and be asked. Because it says here, when someone asks, I'll give an answer. And so it's wonderful, it's comforting. We can sit still and just not do anything. But notice that the reason that questions are being asked is that they can see a hope that's in you. They can see you living out a, a life that is programmed by the, by the eternal hope that Jesus has given us 
and it differs to everybody else. And so there ought to be a, a, a provoking of questions. Why do you live like this? Why, are you, why don't you want to do what we all just want to do? And we have to, have, we have to be able to speak up and know what we know. And so here's my question to you, just like Kirk asked the kids, uh, and he subtly asked us as, as well. Do you know how to explain the hope that you have? Do you know how to tell your parents, your spouse, your children, your godchildren, your nieces and nephews, your next-door neighbour, do you know how to tell the hairdresser why you go to church? Have you got an answer for that? Uh, do you need training in that? Uh, would you like to do some training? Would you like to, um, to talk about that? Um, when we do our Knowing in Christ course, which we've run one this year, we may do another one this year, um, one of the things that's helpful in the Knowing Knowing Christ course is not just that it's for people who want to know and discover who Jesus is, but if you want to be exposed to a, a way, there's many ways of explaining the gospel, many tools, if you'd like to be exposed to a method of explaining the gospel, then the Knowing Christ course could very well be for you as an already Christian already saved, and say, I want to to be sharpened in my mind so that I can know how I can speak uh, about my faith to others. I don't know about about you, um, but my brain's operating all the time. I'm sure yours is too. That's how brains work. Always thinking, always thinking. But then as soon as you say something out loud, you realise how unprepared you are. That, That thought that was so crystal in your mind wasn't so crystal when you spoke it out loud. So some things, one, one thing we could do is just get in the habit of practising what, what, what we say to, to one another. We, we can do that in growth groups. Uh, one of the reasons we have growth groups in our church is so that we can meet in the week with Christians to sharpen our skills, not just in preaching the gospel, but in knowing, knowing how to read the Bible, to, to discuss life together, the struggles we're having, and to, uh, to understand how the gospel plays into every corner of our life. So there's, a, there's um, ways that our church is beginning and continuing to feed our minds with the knowledge of um, grace, with the knowledge of what God is doing, so that we are ready to speak to the world around us about what we know. But Peter also says, and this is a comfort to all of us, I'm sure, that when you speak the gospel, when you tell people about your hope, you're not to be braggy or mean or hurtful. When you speak about the gospel, uh, let me read here. But but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may not be ashamed, uh, may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. When, even when we even when we share our hope with others, share the gospel, we're not to get back into that fight or flight. We're, we're to break that cycle. We're not engaging in the warfare again so that we can win arguments. We just express our hope, share quite confidently, this is why I believe Jesus has risen from the dead. This is why I believe uh, that meeting together is, uh, is, is God-honouring and good for me. This is why I believe. This is the hope that I have. This is why I, I live the way I live. You state it, you state it in, with compassion and care and love so that no one could turn around and say those Christians are horrible people. They're so self-confident. Friends, we are saved sinners, and we, we're just sharing the 
the same message that Peter has shared with the first generation of Christians. But we, we need to, Peter's telling us to break the cycle, to trade in your fear for a reverence of God, of Jesus as our king, uh, because, because Jesus is king. The, the remaining section, verses uh, 18 to 22, there's some, there's some strange words in this section. Um, but when you dive in, have a little swim around, dive back out again, you, you'll notice there's three clear statements being made in this section. The first thing is that he died. Peter says, For Christ also, for Christ, yeah, or Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's our hope, that Jesus Christ died once. It was one sacrifice because that was all that was needed, was that one true sacrifice for our sins to be paid for. The righteous, who is Jesus, for the unrighteous, who is you and who is me, to bring you and me to God. That was the project. God, uh, Jesus, in very nature, God came down in the form of of a human. He lays life on the cross He spilt his precious blood, which was the plan from before the creation of the world, so that you could be brought to God, so that you could be brought to God. He died in order that you would have this restored relationship. We're saved by the cross of Christ. Jesus is king. Uh, He displays his mercy and his compassion for us in his death. But he rose to life again, verse 18. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Our saviour didn't remain dead. And we're actually in verse 21, at the end of verse 21, the very last clause there, it says, uh, it, uh, the resurrection, sa- uh, sorry, baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection that saves us. Uh, the death on the cross was the exchange, God's righteousness for our sin. He, he gives us his righteousness, takes on our sin and deals with that. The punishment of sin is paid for so that we can be righteous. That's the act of the cross. But being raised from the grave again is the shout of victory, that the cross did not, kill, did not defeat Jesus. This is not an act of defeat. This is, this is a, a victorious resurrection from the grave. And so our hope is not in an example of suffering. Our hope is in the resurrection. And thirdly, we're told that he ascended to reign. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So here's the three points. That Jesus died, Jesus rose and he has ascended on high and he is the king who reigns over everything. Jesus is king. So don't be afraid of of anything that can be thrown our way in this earth whether it's hostility to the gospel, whether it's the sufferings of life, whether it's illnesses, um, budget problems, uh, relationship problems. Don't fear the things that, that are thrown at us in this world because Jesus is king and he'll look after everything. Now, you all want to know what verses 19 to 21 are on about. Um, if you don't, then... Wake up and read them and and understand that there's some tricky things there. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 
And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience. I love these parts of the Bible because it makes me feel more aligned with the, with the apostles. I feel like Peter's, Peter's spraying out words here like a crazy person. And, uh, and I think that's, that's where my heart really is. I work really hard to, be, uh, to put things in, a, in an order so you can all make sense of me. Um, and here, here I feel like Peter's written a, a letter that's all nice and easy to read, and then he's just gone, oh, yeah, Noah, spirits, imprisonment, um, baptism, and, uh, and there's a few things just laid out there. It is a tricky part of the Bible. Um, uh, every, every generation has wrestled with this, these, these words, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in here. Just to, I'm going to say lift up the, the lid, have a look inside, then close the lid again. Uh, there's a few issues with the... Te- there's a few... Um, like the word spirit that uh, is mentioned there. After being a ma- made alive, he went and, pro- and made proclamation to the imprisoned, imprisoned spirits. Uh, that, that's, the, that's probably the hardest thing to grapple with. Who are these spirits? Where were they? What did he say to them? Uh, and what was their response? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. Um, it's more likely that the word spirit there is to do with the spiritual realm rather than dead people. So I don't... Uh, I, I want to just say off the, off the cuff, there's a lot of greyness in this, in this area, and so I'm happy to talk over a cup of tea um, about what you think it means, but I think we, our resolution will be it means something. Uh, uh, it's more likely that, that, the, that, he's, that the spirit's that are being mentioned there are not humans who died in the flood and now are, are spirits um, lingering in purgatory. Because that purgatory is not in the Bible. Uh, it's more likely that this is the spiritual realm who, who were not only rebellious towards... Um, uh, yeah, who were rebellious uh, against God's will and his ways. I think what, what shines out of this passage is that in verse 19, that when Jesus rose from the dead, then there was a proclamation made that, that death has been defeated, that sin has been crushed, and that Jesus now reigns. The, the, the highlight of that verse is there's a proclamation, that Jesus is king. The heralds sing uh, from the rooftops, that Jesus reigns. Uh, um, a little side note, uh, the descended into hell theology that comes out in the Apostles' Creed actually doesn't come from this verse. This verse fuels that theology. It sort of comes back to front. It gets, gets written back to front. Um, I'm saying these things for the, for the few who are really curious, and I'm just scratching a few itches in the room. Um, uh, there's, it's hard to nail down a theology here of where Jesus was, um, whether that's during the three days or not. So here, I've lifted up the, up the upper lid. Let me just close the lid again and tell you what I think we get out of, the, out of verses 19, 20 and 21. Number, firstly, that the resurrection is a proclamation to the universe, that the, that the heavens know now that death has been um, conquered, uh, death no longer has a sting, and that all, all sin in this world has a solution and a saviour. Uh, we have a saviour, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Noah, Peter brings up Noah and his family, and what stands out, what Peter highlights for us, is that only a few people were saved. When God sent the flood in the world, 
there was only a few people who were saved. Now, democracy doesn't work in that situation. If everyone went to a vote and said, do you think it's going to flood? The vote would have said no. But a few people heard the word of God, got in the boat and were saved. That's the encouragement for us, as Peter says, um, to break the cycle, trade in your fear, acknowledge the hope that you have, and even if you feel like you're in the minority, don't worry about that. That's not, that's not how you test truth. And thirdly, the link to baptism. So Peter goes from um, proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to the example of Noah, and then he jumps, he, he springboards from Noah to baptism. The link to, Noah, uh, to baptism is a reminder that we have turned our lives over to God. The, the baptism, whatever, whatever um, detailed view you have of baptism, uh, at the very least it is a changed life saying, I'm, do- I'm done with the old, I'm, I'm now a new creation in Christ because Christ is my King, my Lord. And just as Noah got on the boat and was saved, baptism is what, uh, is what saves us because of what we have turned to, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I hope that I've scratched a few itches, but let me just remind you. We, are, we know that Jesus is king because he died to bring us to God, that he rose again, and that he has ascended, and he, he sits right now in the throne room of heaven and... As verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what do you want to do? Do you want to do good, or do you want to do evil? You want to pursue good, don't you? But when you hit conflict, when you come across uh, some sort of um, uh, yes, re- some resistance or threats, what will you do? You'll take a deep breath and you'll remain calm. Keep calm because Jesus is king. There's an irony here in this passage because if you remember back in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 8, for example, Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter Peter said, uh, you are the Christ. And, and Jesus said, you're right, Peter. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, now we're going to go into Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me and, and, and persecute me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to raise, rise to life again. Do you remember what Peter's reaction to that was? He rebuked Jesus. He said, that's not the way. That's not the way to glory. That's, heaven forbid that you, the Messiah, should go and suffer for us. But Jesus said to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And now the irony is that Peter's using that very same uh, formula, that Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus is reigning on high. And that formula is what gives us strength and hope, not fear and trepidation. Our world needs a church that is not afraid. Not a church that's bullies, but just a church that is calm and steadfast and has an answer for the hope that resides within us as we revere Christ as Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us to have that conviction. Almighty God, we thank you for the, your, the death, resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for what is, it has accomplished on our behalf. And we pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts a conviction that knows that this, uh, this has been done for us to bring us to you. Lord, as we live as aliens and strangers in this world, 
Help us to be one in spirit here at Kingswood Anglican. Help us to encourage each other and spur one another on through with joy and encouragement, with uh, sympathy, compassion, kindness. I pray, Father, that you'd brew in us a love for one another that is, uh, that is obvious to all who come to church and those who watch our interactions. And Lord, please, I pray that, that the centre of our community will be the knowledge of the hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is King, that he will look after everything. Grow in us hearts that do not fear what this world fears, but to revere in our hearts Jesus Christ as Lord. We pray for your help in this, through your spirit, by your word, in Jesus' name. Amen.